Good morning. I'd like to open this morning my comments, which will slowly build and build and build. And I've tried to pick a topic that would be the most appropriate for the current time in which we live. If you're following along in Scripture, I'm going to read a couple of texts from Luke 10 and verse, starting with verse 40. Only a couple of texts. But it seems that, well, you know the jest that's there, but, but Martha was cumbered about much serving and came to him, being Jesus, and said, Lord, dost thou care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her therefore that she help me. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things. But one thing is needful. And Mary hath chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. We live obviously in a time that's unique, I feel, at least to us here in America, supposedly in a land of liberty and freedom and problems and troubles. And it's going to be obvious, but I'm talking about this morning worry an overcoming worry so I've entitled the message overcoming worry but I'm still yet want some introductory thought before we go into the uh, further scriptures it seems like that there was a little bit of confusion on the case of Martha, what was good and what she was concerned about was insignificant, and sometimes that's the case with us. I found it interesting how prophetic that things can be. Having obligations to family and other issues this last week. I've made a trip down memory lane and looked through some of my older sermons way back. And I found one that the theme sounded good, but it took a lot of work or revision because you'd be amazed how many things has changed and amazed at the same time 
how many things has not changed. And this is unnecessary information, but when I started the ministry, at first I was using a system, and somewhere along the way in the, a move, I don't know whether it was moved to San Antonio or back to Claremore or wherever, but I lost a sermon notebook, so I lost continuity. But at that time, I was numbering my sermon. And this, where I took the theme from was a sermon back in 1979. And it happened to be the fourth sermon of the year. And it was number 301. And I lost numbering after that. <laughs> or not too long after that anyway. But anyway, it was interesting. So I want to share with you. Because obviously it's a time characterized as the age of worry. And I cannot, I was trying to think why. Was magazine articles, a book, and so on, concerned with worry that was so significant back as far as November of 1979? But I want to read you some thoughts, and, and I know that this was taken from a pub magazine publication at that time, and I was I'm guilty of not. I extracted the information, but I failed to write down the publication, so I can't tell you exactly the real source. I want to read you some statements. Number one, if we don't have a job, we better worry about that. If we have a job, we worry about losing it. If we don't have money, we worry. If we have money, we worry about where it goes. If we don't have a car, we worry about that. If we have a car, we worry about it breaking down or being destroyed in some other fashion. If we do not have an education, we worry. And if we are getting an education, we worry about whether we're going to pass the course or courses that's involved. If we're sick, we worry. If we are well, we worry about getting sick. If we feel a flutter of the heart or a pain in the abdomen, we're convinced that we have, heard, have heart troubles or ulcers. And I don't remember how many other things, but that's the only ones that I extracted from back then. But it seems like we're in that age of worry, worry, and worry plagues this society. And it's never been so much truer than perhaps what we see at the present time. Just think how many issues that was not mentioned 
that we could probably enumerate the people to worry about. I don't remember the statistic, but long ago I remember an incident that they mentioned that people worried about issues of life and things that affected their family or their welfare. And I think the time was around 1921 and there was only like seven or eight major worries all, all across. You number them now. And they're in the hundreds. So you can see that our stressed system is being stressed with all kinds of problems and worries. One warrior said to the other, I have so many troubles to worry about. If anything happened to me today, it will be two weeks before I get around to worrying about it. Now, and that's probably true with, more so with lots of people in this world that are not Christian and are not walking faithfully with Him. But why can't we live free of all senses of anxiety, concerns, and worries? Concerns and worry. Worry that's killing our joy and our happiness in the Lord and all the blessings that he affords us. I'm going to spend some time this morning discussing and dissecting. And I know that this is a form of partially the sermon is not all just uh, what they call that form of preaching. But I want to tear this verse passage back, and if you want to follow along, I'm going to be reading from Matthew 6. And it's kind of a classic. Call it a spiritual classic on worry. In Matthew 6, starting with verse 24, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. He cannot serve God and mammon. And... The electronic Bible that I was using to make sure that I got my notes over correctly had a subdivision in the reading and a subheading for the next one. Do not be anxious or worry. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life 
what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor yet for the, your body that ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor garner gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto your statue? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow and toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Therefore, if God so clothe the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall ye not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Take no thought for your life that we shall eat or what we shall drink or yet for the, your body's saying, what shall ye eat or what shall ye drink or wherewithal shall ye be clothed? For after all of these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that he, ye have need of all of these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God, and the righteousness of all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the tomorrow, for the morrow, or the morrow shall take care of the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. So from the, this particular text, Matthew 6, starting with verse 24 through 34, we learn that worry is truly not without condemnation. Breaking that apart, I'm going to say this. Worry is not necessary is unnecessary. In verse 32 it says, Your heavenly Father knows that ye have need of all of these things. So why worry about it? It's the essence we've been given the promise that He'll take care of us. Then we see that worry results in chastisement. In verse 26, it, we read, Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are you not much better than they? In analyzing that thought, 
He's chastising them. Aren't you better? Whoever was present there when he was teaching this, you're better than those. So why are you worrying about it? That's kind of a condemnation. Another thing we see that worry in this passage is prohibited. And I'm, perhaps I'm using stronger words than you might think in that particular part. But we look in 625, verse 25 of that reading. Take no thought for your life. Take no thought. A commandment. That ye should eat or what ye should drink, nor yet for your body. And then in the 31st verse, it says, Take no thought for your life again, that ye should eat or drink or your clothing. So he's being a little down on those that he was teaching because he was concerned because they were being so selfish and thinking about whether they were what they were going to have to eat, what they were going to be clothed with or whatever. And actually it goes a little deeper than that which we'll see later. But actually it indicates a weakness in their faith. Worry in these particular verses illustrates a lack of faith and a strong belief in God's promise, promises, His care, and His total provision for the needs if we will only be faithful in our Christian spiritual walk. That's where the condemnation comes in. They were weak. They were doubtful. Really, they're showing a distrust in the Lord and God. Worry that they would. Another aspect of worry, worry is brutal to the body and to the soul. Verse 27, it says, Which of you taking thought can add one cubit into his statute? And as an illustration, you can take and put on the tallest hat or the high heels or whatever, and yet it will not add one inch to your true height. It, you may appear higher, but you're not any taller than you ever were. Neither will worry benefit you. It only eats at your soul and interferes with your spiritual well-being. Worry in one and part of this text, and we're, I'm going to correlate it just straightforward, is hellishness or is heathenist. In that 
He used the connotation in verse 32 for those for after these things do the Gentiles seek. Now not only was it a strike as kind of a condemnation, but that puts them back in the categories that you would call heathens back in those days. The unbelievers. Those that wasn't walking towards God. It doesn't benefit you in any way. I run across this illustration. Worry is like a rocking chair. It will give you something to do, but it will not get you anywhere. It just passing time. Worry translates as being your faithfulness, unfaithfulness, really, <coughs> or faithlessness. In verse 30 again, it repeating, it talks about those that's thinking about God clothing the grasses, the flowers, those of nature, those objects that takes beauty in our eyesight, but yet they're soon passed away and they cast in the oven. But if they do, if he closed them, he says, O ye of little faith. That cuts because that's accusing them of having very little faith. It's hurtful. I'm sure if somebody were to directly tell you that, you would feel a little pinprick to the heart because you'd take it as a being totally uncomplimentary. So I'm wondering what would your reaction be? Jesus actually uses the term O ye of little faith, four times in the book of Matthew. There may be others, but at least just those four in Matthew. In 630, it talks about in connection with our anxiety. In Matthew 8, 26, it's in connection with fear. In Matthew 14, 31, it's in connection with doubt. And you've heard the expressions over the years, doubt, uh, like a doubting Thomas. God is not so pleased with us to be hanging in the balance and doubting whether he can be trusted 
to provide for us in every respect. And in the 16th chapter, it's in connection with our human reasoning. It's interesting to me that as we think about our human reasoning in everything that we read and study and so on, it seems to indicate that it produces, number one, doubt. Will he really do that? Will he provide for me? That's doubting. And then when we doubt, we doubt produces fear. We're afraid of starving to death or going, I guess not having clothes to clothe ourselves, so we're nakedness. And fear produces both anxiety and worry. However, Faith is the remedy for all of these mentioned that affects the conditions of our own heart. Just for a moment, I want to spend a little time discussing why worry is so detrimental to a person. Worry is disregard for the commandments of God and the words that he's promised. It's interesting in Ephesians 4 and 6 we're admonished to be careful for nothing using the King James. For in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known unto God. Looking at our definition of words, we find that doubting or careful in that situation is taken from the Greek word 3309, meaning anxiety or worry. So worry for nothing. It deters from our duty and also it's a waste of time. It doesn't really satisfy anything. You just spend time. In some years past, the University of Wisconsin, Wisconsin, the state, they made a study regarding worry, and this is what they found. 40% of worries are over things that never happen. 30% worry about things of the past and things that cannot be changed. 
22% worry over petty and needless worries. 8%, only 8% worry over things that are legitimate. Now, I don't know exactly how they arrived at that, but that was a published fact back in the days. And I dare say that it's probably pretty accurate considering the current day. So thus we see that time and energy consumed worrying could be spent much more profitably. in worthwhile meditation, study, prayer, and health activities. And needless to say, worry is detrimental to health. It's considered people has been known to have ulcers and other things, so I'm going to make a quote that I don't know if I even have this book left, but apparently I had it at that time, by a Dr. S.I. McMillan, entitled, None of These Diseases, page 90 and 93. It shows how unusual and the effects of worry. One, fatigue. Two, hives. Three is angioneurotic. I'll get tied on that word, big medical word, meaning strain on the heart. Edema. Asthma, high blood pressure from worry and emotional stress. And there's probably others that could be documented, but that's the key ones. Because of the worry, people has gone even insane and committed suicide in society. Terrible. Worrying prolongs physical pain and healing of the body and mind and soul. Worry has resulted in the flourishing field of psychiatry. We wouldn't have as many psychiatrists if people wasn't so worrisome. Worry affects the strength of the mind and vitality of your body. We've been told in 1 Corinthians 8, or 6, 9, and 20, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, or ghost, the King James says, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own, 
For you were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Give him glorification, not worry. The uh, next verse is found in the third chapter of 1 Corinthians 16 and 17. Very similar, but he says, Know ye not that your temples, you are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. Worry tends to destroy the body and affection. Worry is a robber, robbing us of joy, happiness, and peace. And the Bible actually, Scripture, admonishes us to express and encourages us to express our joy and rejoicing and happiness. Philippians 4, verse 1. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. It's written in a command form to rejoice, be happy. I'm going to spend just a little bit of time on things that may help us to overcome worry. We've looked at the effects of worry and the destructive aspects it has on our mind, our body, our soul. So how do we overcome it? Number one, uh, one is to make up your mind you're going to conquer it. That's exercising your willpower. And as an illustration, it's quoted that once, and Abraham Lincoln is credited in saying, I have been about as happy as I have made up my mind to be. So it's a state of mind. Another aspect of how to overcome is to form an upright and a strong relationship with God and our fellow man. The man who has the assurance he is right with God and that he isn't at odds with his fellow man usually has few worries. He doesn't have to worry about what his neighbor is thinking or his family or whoever. And he's not so concerned about his relationship with the Lord because he knows he's in right standing. So it's the development of the right attitude of mind that truly helps us to overcome. And remember, worry, I mentioned, 
earlier really doesn't benefit. We're just regurgitating our, our thoughts and our ill feelings and our anxieties and our distrust and whatever else in our system. But if we want to develop an attitude of mind, try counting your blessings. I know there's so many full that, and so plenteous that you probably can't count them all. Number two is to don't manufacture problems and troubles that may not even be factual or accurate or in existence. It's been said that ulcers are things that people get from mountain climbing over molehills. We major on the minor things and forget the majors in so many issues. Do what you can and turn the rest over to God. He's promised to help us. Take your concerns, your worries to Him. But why spend you your wasteful time? Another one is to basically, in this time and age at least, live the day and worry, don't worry about tomorrow. Live one day at a time, in other words. You can't worry about yesterday because you can't change it. And you can't change anything that's going to happen tomorrow because the things that you fear may not be. Confault, the next one is to cultivate a faithful and realistic trust in God and God's promises. In 2 Corinthians 16, verses 7, starting with verse 17, and I'm going to go ahead and read through the 7th chapter, verse 1. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. Three basic commands I see there as I analyze it. Come out from among them, to be separate, and to touch not the unclean things. And I will receive you, a promise, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Come out. 
be separate. That's not the unclean thing. And to trust in his promises. Ephesians 3. And I believe it's the third chapter. I've got 30 and I know that Ephesians don't have 30 chapters. So it's Ephesians 3, 19. And do... And to know the love of God Christ, which passes knowledge, that we might be fulfilled with all the fulfillness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundant above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. Another one, Ephesians 3.13 Brethren, I count not myself to apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which were behind and reaching forth to those things which are before, I press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Worry's not going to get you there. But if you're working and pressing and looking forward to that prize, then by the grace and blessing of the Lord, we will. In Ephesians 4:19, but my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Trust in the Lord. Engage in purposeful work. Transfer for your care to more worthy objects or considerations. Don't just meditate on one thing or worry about one thing. And last of all, the main thing to over, help overcome is to take it to the Lord in prayer. All the mind-boggling thoughts we can do may not ever change anything, but we know from experience, from the blessed word of the Lord, that prayer does change things. I want to conclude with these thoughts again. Thinking back what we've said, worry is unnecessary. It shows our distrustfulness and it's detrimental to our individual health, body, mind, and soul as a believer. Two, why worry when a true child of God is expected to be an overcomer? Lastly, God doesn't demand the impossible. You can 
And we must overcome worry and spending hours on hours of wasteful, destructive thoughts, fear, and anxiety that affects us, both our spiritual attitude and the way we walk with God. And lastly, I want to leave you with thought from Isaiah, the 26th chapter, verses 3 and 4. Thou will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. Trust ye in the Lord forever, for in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. Trust in the Lord. And we can be successful and put aside so many wasteful moments and hours on worrying about things that may not be. There's things that perhaps in today's age is perplexing us. But in the end, the greatest reflection I see is sometimes it shows up that we not, are not as firmly rooted in trusting our God and the promises he's made. May the Lord bless.